Thank you for joining us for the Redemption Church podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel called Lessons Learned from a Sabbatical. Hey, if I have not met you or if I met you before or you're listening online and listening to the podcast or watching the video, uh, my name is Pastor Daniel Williams. I'm wife, Laura. We lead worship here and pastor and shepherd and those type of things, but Man, it's just great pursuing and proclaiming Jesus with you, and uh, I'm encouraged by your faith. I'm encouraged that you're here taking the time, taking the energy to worship God, uh, to be before God. It does take faith to sing, to pray, to study God's Word, and we pray that your faith is built up as we're magnifying and exalting Jesus. And uh, we always worship God through His Word. We worship God through our tithes and offerings. And there's the tithes and offerings back is in, is in the back. You feel free as the Lord leads on your heart to give. You give and you worship. We come early and we pray and we sing songs. And uh, later we're going to take communion and we're going to be test, having hearing testimonies. And it's so good to just be in the house of God to worship God. And don't forget that this is an act of discipline, spiritual discipline, like we talked about last week. And it's good for your spirit. It's good for your soul to be here. Even sometimes you don't feel like it, or it's a little bit extra effort sometimes it seems like on a Sunday, especially Sunday night. Y'all really must be godly now. Coming out here on a Sunday afternoon, giving up your time and energy. But you know, God sees that. And that worship is not just for us so we can have more people in our audience or attendance. That is for you. You get to give that offering, your life, this time to God. And he honors that. And he, he loves that. And he honors faith. And so we're glad that you're here with us, and let me catch us up a little bit. Uh, we took our first sabbatical, our first sabbatical this summer. Sabbath day is a 24-hour period where you stop work, you delight in God's grace. A sabbatical, in layman's terms, in common man's terms, is a Sabbath on steroids. It's for a longer season than 24 hours. For us, it was three months to delight in God's grace, to stop work, to seek Him. And so, man, I've been using this series as we've come back to just sort of reflect on that, to share uh, things and God's stories that He has taught me, my family, certain things from that, and to not only see uh, testimonies from me and God's stories, how God has worked in my life, but to show you principles in God's Word so that you can take these truths and apply them to your life as well. And so I've been teaching in a little bit different way with testimony, with sharing stories and looking at Scripture and, and giving you the message titles of questions, of questions. So far, we've talked about abiding in Christ, studying the Word of God, uh, seeking His kingdom first, and, and really honed in on listening to God and understanding the will of God for our life and our calling. Last week, we sort of shift gears to sort of say, now what? Now that God, we've received God's grace, we're, we've listened to His voice, we're seeking Him, and He speaks, how do we practically apply God's Word to our life and walk in the Sabbath rest that Jesus gives us? Because we all know that we all can't be on a sabbatical for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Not yet. Heaven's coming, but it ain't here yet. Okay? And so how do we actually live for God? Like now, I'm back. And you probably may not even have an opportunity to take a, a sabbatical, but you can take a Sabbath rest, and you can quiet your spirit and, and stop work and receive God's grace for your life. And what does that look like for you? And so sort of moving forward in those things, we discussed 
discuss spiritual disciplines, obedience and holiness to Christ and repenting of sin, turning to God and walking in wisdom and talked about as a community how we have a rule of life to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to rely on Him. And practically, what do those things look like? Last week, I gave you opportunity to, to go to the website, which you still can, and hear that message and, and think about what is a rule of life? What are some things and, and practices that you can do that you need to build in your life? Because that was one of the things that, that I had to do during the sabbatical. What spiritual disciplines or practices could I do to just get closer to God? And so, tonight... I want to add one more thing on the sort of now what discussion. Uh, and that is this. You need other people in your life to fulfill your God-given calling. You, that's right, hearing my voice, you need other people in your life to fulfill your God-given calling. As you're listening to Him, as you're receiving insight and revelation and wisdom from Him, you can't fulfill your calling in Christ in isolation. Because you were made for community. And this truth is all over the Bible. And it doesn't take really a, a long time or a scholar to understand this truth. Because there are over 50 verses in the Bible that talk about one another. And you have to have someone else to apply these truths. Remember we talked about the will of God for your life and what that looks like. There's a general will, the written word of God, but then God through the gospel gives us his spirit and he speaks to us. He ministers to us. He uh, gives us revelation through his word to build our faith and, and he leads us and guides us to do specific things in this moment, in this time with your specific life. And in that specific revelation, obedience to God, you need other people to fulfill that calling, that prompting to how the Holy Spirit leads. Let me just give you a couple of verses, 25 to be exact. Be at peace with one another, Mark chapter 9, 50. Wash one another's feet, John 13, 14. Love one another, John 13, 14. Be devoted to one another in love, Romans 12, 10. Honor one another in love. Imagine, as I'm reading these things, if we had a culture that applied these things. Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Instruct or teach one another, Romans 15, 4. Greet one another with a holy kiss, even in COVID times, Romans 16, 16. Have equal concern for each other, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Serve one another humbly in love, Galatians 5, 13. Carry each other's burdens. Some of you guys have some burdens, some problems. We can carry for one another, Galatians 6, 2. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21. Do not lie to one another, Colossians 3, 9. Forgive whatever grievances you have with one another, Colossians 3, 13. Colossians 3, 13 also says teach one another, exhort. Or Colossians 3, 16 would say admonish one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says love one another or each other. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Build one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Spur one another on towards good, uh, towards love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. Confess your sins to, re to, uh, to each other, James 5.16. Pray for one another, James 5.16. Live in harmony with one another, 1 Peter 3.8. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another, 1 Peter 5. Five, or you, you get the principle, you get the, the idea, the one another's, and this is only 25 little examples of how the Bible says if you want to obey Christ, like submit to one another, forgive one another, build one another, you're going to need someone else to do those commands. 
And you see, God makes us relational beings in his image, and we are commanded to walk in community and to express the love of God in community. So much so that we can't fully thrive in obeying the written word of God, the scripture we're going to study, without other people in our lives. Without other people in our lives to get involved so we can forgive some people, so we can love some people, so we can serve some people. And I want to propose to you today that you can't obey God's specific will for your life, his plan and his purpose in your life without others as well. You won't be able to thrive just as much with your specific calling. We need other people in our lives to fulfill his specific calling in our lives. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because that is something very, very dear to me and important. As I was in sabbatical, I thought about a lot. I know it seems weird because I've been focusing a lot on silence and solitude, retreating, right, going away, stopping work. But it couldn't have been done without a team of people continuing to serve and work here and serve the Lord. Even though God told our family to take a sabbatical, that would not have been able to take place unless other people were to step up and to serve and to minister. And it was, I just had so much peace during the sabbatical not working because I know that so many of you picked it up and Jesus would be the focus, not me. So I had peace because I had help from others. And I really feel like it wasn't just a sabbatical for me or my family, but for our church. And there are lessons to be learned that you guys, the Lord himself, taught you over the summer as well. You all helped fulfill my calling. And I am so glad and grateful that this church was led by Jesus and still is and not me or personality or a pastor or something like that. And here's what I want you to see is this is a biblical pattern. It's a biblical pattern. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. We're coming on up. It's going to be amazing. You're going to realize why we need Laura tonight and why, how much she loves me. Coming on 19 years. You see, I see this in the life of Paul, and I want to show you this in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Uh, what we're going to do tonight is I want to read this section like we always do. I want to teach you an important principle and then I want to have people testify and share this. You've heard a lot from me of what God has done. I want you to see the team and how God worked as we all fulfilled these things. And the question I want you to ponder tonight, because I'm giving you a question every time we teach, is a message title. Here's the question for you to think about. Who is in your circle? Who is in your circle? And here's what I mean by that. Who's in your inner circle, the people that influence you, the people around you that support you and can help you in fulfilling and following your calling, whether it be this church family, community, friends, a, a community group, a discipleship group, a team, the people you respect helping you follow God? Do you have those people? Do you recognize those people? Have you identified those people? And so we'll read the text. What am I saying? She's going to read the text. I was going to do it. I promise you I was going to do it. I just thought it would be a distraction. And plus, it's just fun, you know? It's just fun to put her on the spot. She loves this type of stuff. She, she loves it. So uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 1 through 17. Why don't you read the whole passage and then pray and we'll study and hear testimony. All right. Romans 16, 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chenrea, 
that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apennetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, who, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Jeez. Greet, my <laughs> Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephena and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogalus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word tonight, Lord. We thank you for these people, God, that you know and you loved and that meant something special, God. I pray that we would learn, Lord, from this passage what it is that you have for us to learn, God, just the value of the people you've placed in our lives. Um, we just thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, you got to give it up for her. Give her a hand. Come on. I, I still would have been stumbling after the third name, to be honest with you. But the great thing is, where we're, we speak English and Americans, we don't know how to pronounce those things anyway. You ever do have your Bible reading, and you're like, oh, I read like 17 chapters today. We just went through Leviticus, you know, just our numbers, all these names, you know. You're like, chapter, check, three seconds, because you're like, oh, a whole bunch of names, moving on, right? But here's the deal. Like she said, they are real people. It's a weird passage in a sense and you're going to see why I'm talking about this and what I want to teach you for who's in your circle. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ is a beautiful body of believers. There's diversity. There's different gifts. There's different people gathered under the Lordship of Jesus Christ as Messiah, King, Savior, and Lord. Uh, when you hear church, don't think of just a service like I'm going to church like right now. The word church was first mentioned by Jesus saying he would build his church off the gospel that he is God, Savior, and Lord, this ecclesia. It's a group of people called out, gathered together to worship Jesus as King, as Savior, as God, as Lord. And he told Peter, upon this truth, this gospel is how you enter into the church, and I will build this church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So people get saved. Sinners repent. And they get forgiven of their sins by the grace of God for the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And we get to walk with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and be a part of his church. And Peter would lay this out as Jesus told this to Peter. Then Peter would write to disciples in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9-10. through 10, And he would say, but you, 
Because he's speaking to Christians, followers of Jesus, the beloved, the elect, those people that have repented, that do believe in the gospel. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, we were once lost and dark and dead in our sin, alienated from God, but we've been snatched into his marvelous light. For our God is light, he is holy, he is true, and he forgives sin and died for sin. Once you were not a people, you were isolated, you were doing your own thing, but now you have been brought together as a community, ecclesia, but now you are God's people. Bought with his blood, blood precious to him. Once you were not, have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How do you enter into this family, the church, the kingdom of God? It's by the grace of God through faith. It's by the mercy of God. It's nothing that you can earn, but by faith you receive the work that Jesus did. And the church is now a people. It's not a pastor. It's not a hip service. It's not a personality type. The Bible describes it as a body, a group of people, saved by grace, centered on grace. And we have different roles and uh, activities to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about it and gives this example of a body. How there are many members but one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member but many. And so if you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of this many member body. God has individually given you gifts. He has individually given you a different capacity or a calling. And yet, he has called us together to do something to bring him glory, to magnify him. You see, that we would need one another, that we would be interdependent or twined together, not independent of one another. You are you, and God has a specific will, a calling for you, but it, it's in the purpose and plan of his will, of his body, to bring him glory. God has brought people together, his body, so that we would obey him, follow him as the head, Colossians 1.18 says. That he would rule and reign our lives. And here at the end of the book of Romans, we have this great doctrine. And you can read the plan of salvation, God's grace. And practically, Paul lived out this amazing truth of Romans. You see, Paul would just have penned the book of Romans, the letter of Romans. If you ever read it, it is the crown jewel of the New Testament, some say. It is full of doctrine, full of truth. Hear what scholars and people think about this incredible book. John Calvin said about Romans, when anyone understands this epistle, this book, Romans, he has the passage open to him to understand the whole scripture. One English poet, Samuel Coleridge, said, it is the most profound work in existence. This is the inspired written word of God, full of so much truth, so much time. Swiss theologian Frederick Godic called this book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. And of course, we would know Martin Luther would be so changed, so touched by God's grace, the gospel, and the doctrines and deep truths of this book that it would start a whole movement called the Protestant movement, Reformation movement, that we were saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. Scripture and these truths, as much as it is doctrine, it deals with God. Not just morals or truth, but in this letter, the book, Romans, God, the word God, magnifying God and who he is occurs 153 times. If you think about doctrines, the law, and the principle and the truth of what God has said has occurred over 72 times. 
The word Christ is mentioned 65 times in this book. Sin is mentioned 48. The Lord is mentioned 43. And faith is mentioned 40 times in this jam-packed, amazing, incredible letter to the Roman church, the people of God. Dr. Martin Luther Jones actually wrote a 14-volume set, books this thick, on this one letter, book of the Bible. And yet, in chapter 16, it is a practical and simple greeting to people. You got to think and pause, what, what's going on? If you ever read Romans and the deep truths of it, you're like, huh? Paul greets at least 26 people by name that we all can't can announce, pronounce, and two unnamed saints. He also greets seven churches meeting in homes or microchurches or people that are gathering in places. And even, we didn't read, but in verse 21 through 23, he closes the letter with greetings from nine believers who are with him. People, a team in Corinth, when he actually wrote this book. In fact, here's some homework for you. People don't actually know this or gloss over this. Paul would actually not just write letters of the Bible by himself. Check it out in the New Testament. You ever notice these like greetings? It's like from Timothy and Silas or uh, Silvanus and, and Titus. And he, he is always surrounded by people. And if you hear this greetings in the beginning and the end, you see that his calling. I'm a beloved bondservant of Christ. And then you see the team around him. And you see God do this. You notice that as deep as Romans is with doctrine, with gospel, with God himself, it closes with Paul practically applying these truths through people. Why? Here's my point and what I want you to hear me say. Fulfilling your calling is always in the context of community. Fulfilling your calling is always in the context of community. I have sort of looked to the Apostle Paul to help you see some principles about how you have a calling, how you should listen to calling, how you should have practical spiritual disciplines and, you know, do all these things. But you see, no matter what your specific calling is, what your specific gift is, some of you are mothers and grandparents and have certain jobs and capacities and works for the ministry. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are connected to his body. And you thrive when you are connected to his body. People can and will make a difference in your life. They can and they will make a difference in your life. The great truths and doctrines are met, meant to be applied through people in the real world context. So when we go to God's word and we see these great truths about God, it is to touch our soul and we are to, through the commandments, love people and love God. And it's not just about knowing information, it's about application. We apply the truths of God through the context of community. Paul gives us this example here in this chapter and others. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. He gives another greeting. Could have read that section. Titus chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. He, he sends out another greeting to more people. Could have read that section. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. He, hey, send Mark and these people and that people. And hey, give my greeting and my love to them and those people. And some of the same people in this book and other greetings, other people involved. It's like there's always people around him in his calling to plant churches and share the gospel. Paul fulfilled his specific calling of planting churches and suffering for Christ and preaching Jesus with the help of other people, with a team, the people around him. He wasn't a lone ranger and recognizes the great benefit of having people in his life. Let me ask you a question. Have you recognized this? Have you 
recognize that people can influence you for the good and for the bad. Now, the book of Proverbs will speak wisdom onto this. Proverbs 13, 20, it would say, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of the fools will suffer harm. And you know how the Bible gives us practical illustrations within the Word of God, especially the Old Testament. People that you see the principles laid out. So the people you choose to be around, your circle or inner circle, matter because they can either help you or they could hinder you. They can build your faith or they could tear it down. They influence you. And one example of this is a guy named King Rehoboam. How do you pronounce his name again? Rehoboam. Thank you for the interpretation of tongues. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Rehoboam. See, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I get nervous when I get all these names. Like, I mean, I could have just called him Bo, and you would have been like, fine. But Rehoboam, second, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, it, it's entitled, the chapter is Rehoboam's Folly or Foolishness. You can also read the same story in a different little light uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, because they're the same character, and they give two different aspects of this. But here's the sort of story of Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son and Solomon had died. Solomon was a king, wisest guy in the world. Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Okay. He asked the Lord and the Lord gave him wisdom to reign and rule his people. And so as he took the reign, Rehoboam, his son, had this kingship and they had this godly example. And the people looked at Rehoboam and said, hey, lighten the load. Uh, we we want to follow you, but you need to be gracious like your dad. And Rehoboam literally was looked at him and was like, give me three days. Let me think on it. You want to know, what should I do? Should I, should I lighten the load? Should I make it harder? Do I make a name for myself? Do I fall in the ways of my father? You have to make a choice to walk in wisdom. We talked about that last week. God lets you have faith and do what you need to do and what you want to do. He won't uh, obstruct your will. And if you choose to abandon his ways, there will be a consequence for that. He doesn't want that for you because Rehoboam had already had the word of God. He had been taught by his son. Many of the Proverbs are like, son, walk in this way, walk in that way, walk in this way. But Rehoboam says, let me think about it for three days. And he takes counsel from the old men that were alive when Solomon was there. Solomon had made an influence on these wise people. He said, I want you. He went to the, these people, these advisors that had already been imparted wisdom from Solomon. And they had said, hey, if you are a servant to these people, the nation of Israel, they'll serve you forever. It was like they were saying, the Messiah is coming. He'll be a servant leader. He's the true king. And if you follow in his footsteps, you'll be blessed. They didn't had that language yet, but that's what they were saying. Be a servant leader. Be a servant leader. And he said, nah. I mean, that sounds hard. I don't want to do that. The text in the Bible says he abandoned their counsel. He had it. It was their glory. Boom. Put it away. Chose not to walk in it. Then he takes up counsel of young men that he grew up with, the text says. He grew up with these guys, and they wanted to make a name for themselves, to exalt themselves. That sounds not like Jesus, a little bit more like Satan, isn't it? But we see that in our world, in the culture. There's a narrow road and a, and a, and a wide road. And these guys, man, they come to him, they give him counsel. Hey, heavy the load. Make it way heavy. In fact, discipline them like they're getting stung like a scorpion. Just, you're the king. Be the man. 
That sounded really good to Rehoboam. <laughs> Three days later, he told the people, I'm going to go heavier. And it did not go well for King Rehoboam. You know, it was in this time in history of nation of Israel that the people rebelled. And they said, okay, if you're not going to follow God and be this servant king, then we're out. And 10 of the tribes abandoned him, but it was by the faithfulness and covenant of God that he still had some tribe uh, to lead Judah and Benjamin. And this is where the kingdoms are split. This is why 1 Kings and 2 Kings is focused on the nation of Israel, the 10 tribes, and Chronicles is focused on uh, Judah and Jerusalem and what's happening there. And through prophecy, God knew that Rehoboam would walk in folly, and he said, if you walk in folly, it's not going to go well for you. His circle influenced him. His circle influenced him. And Paul recognizes this and wants to teach us this as well. For he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Like my daddy always used to say, son, you better watch out who you hang with. Watch out who you're hanging around, man. It's going to influence you. You need to watch out who you're hanging around. And you know what's amazing is in between these greetings, the people in verses 1 through 16 and 21 through 33, there's a greeting of people, his ministry team, the people, all this stuff. In verse 17, Paul recognizes this and tells us to avoid people that will bring us down and walk in folly. Read it with me. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. In other words, watch who is in your circle because it matters to your calling and the impact of the kingdom of God in your faith. Just as people can bring you down, they can build you up. Here's another fun name that I don't know how to pronounce, so I'll let you. It's going to be like Jeopardy. I'll answer the question and you, uh, you give me the name, all right? You guess it, all right? It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of, how do you say it? I like that, Onesiphorus. Thank you, Ginger. I know, I always want to say Onesipus, but it's not. It's like, that's not, that's bad. But notice how he says this. He says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesoropus. Okay. You didn't know you were getting some English grammar lessons up in here. I did not do well in phonics. But he says about this man, for he, a real person, he often refreshed me. He gave me life. You ever been refreshed by a, gold, a big like, glass of water on a hot day? And that, that happened yesterday as we were doing door hangers. And my wife came down like a champ, a hero, just brought some water to the team. It was amazing. He said, he was not ashamed of my chains. Because remember, Paul was a prisoner. He had a calling on God. They were suffering. And this guy was not ashamed of his chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Paul would also say this is another group of brothers in 1 Corinthians 16. 17 and 18, that they refreshed him or helped him in the ministry. And of course, in this greeting, chapter 16, we see him share great benefits of his life. This fellowship, Phoebe, the first few verses, Phoebe was a patron to many and Paul. Patreon, a supporter financially. Patreon, he, she helped financially Paul. Priscilla and Aquila, they were ride or die with Paul. Meaning, the text actually says... They risk their necks 
or their lives for Paul's life. That, those are the type of people he wanted to greet. Mary, this lady, it says that she worked hard. She worked hard for people in Rome to establish the work. Give her my love. Andronicus and Junia, they were fellow prisoners. Meaning they were so close to Paul, they said, if you share the gospel and go to prison, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're following your example. We're going to be with you. We're in prison with you. Remember, Silas would be in prison with Paul. There would be other people that would follow Paul into the ministry and to be by his side in the calling he had. Verse 12, it says, he greeted those that worked hard in the Lord and were workers with him. Rufus, she was like a mother to Paul. Can you imagine that ministry? Just being like a mom ministering and opening up her home and hospitable and listening to Paul. The great theologian, you know, he had some hard times too. And he had like a mother figure right there. Paul had these people around him, his circle, that lifted him up, encouraged him, and helped him fulfill his call. It was that important to him that he said in the context of community, I will apply these doctrines. And he did it simply by his life, and in the last chapter of this book, you just practically see this ministry take place. You practically see it. It was important to him, and it should be important to us, to have people in our lives that can pray for us, lift us up, that we can confess our sins to one another, that we can express and share life. Philippians 1.20, Paul would say, Yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you. I have no shame in saying I am weak because when I am weak, I am strong, Paul said. He didn't and couldn't do it all. He said, I have no shame. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul wanted and need others to help him in his calling. So let me ask you this question again. Who is in your circle? Who is in your circle? I recognized and learned that we couldn't have taken the sabbatical without the help and support of other people. And I still recognize, and I want to acknowledge that we cannot fulfill everything we will do as a church without people that are committed to live in community together, to serve this community with the power of the gospel. This is not a one-man show. Was the Apostle Paul great? Absolutely. One of the heroes of the faith. But yet he's taking time when he just taught the truths of hell and heaven and sovereignty of God and the gospel and grace by faith and loving one another and the second Adam and the deep truths of Israel and all these things to say, you know what? I love you. Thank you. I need you. And he's greeting these people in love. And so I want to close this message with a few testimonies to help us build us up, to, to recognize that we are in this together. I've shared a lot of God's stories and testimonies myself as God has done things in the sabbatical in my heart. But I wanted you to hear from others as well because they have learned lessons through the sabbatical. So I want to ask Carrie, Brian, Sue, and Laura to share. And I understand that I could have chosen more people. In fact, I'm giving Pastor Robin next week a whole message because we know if I gave him five minutes, he'd go 20 minutes anyway, right? So he'll, he'll, he'll close out our series. But Pastor Robin, if you want to grab the kids, grab Sue. We're going to start with Carrie. Yeah. Because these are just a few people that serve. Carrie was serves with the drums. And there was a lot of worship leaders, guest worship leaders came in. And just have him share. Uh, then we'll have Brian share. And then we'll have Sue. And then uh, Laura.
You got to close out strong, though, really. Just no pressure, okay? So, you know, the, the best thing I love about this is when I ask people to share, they always realize, like, dang, you do that every week? This is incredible. I can't believe it. This is so hard and jumbled. So, hey, I just want you to share what's on your heart, what God taught you, and uh, the microphone is yours, good sir. So I'm not much of a public speaker, but so if I pass out, then... I got you, bro. <laughs> just leave me here now. Just leave me there. So... Leading up to um, the Williams sabbatical for me, there was a bit of fear, nervousness, a little bit of eagerness, kind of wanted to see what would happen. You know, I kind of wanted to sit back and see, okay, how's this going to play out? Um, not that I thought anything wrong was going to happen, but, you know, of course, but it, it was a little bit of excitement all around. Um, you know, obviously with the leader and organizer of our church leaving for a pretty big amount of time, it was... A little nerve-wracking. Um, but, of course, everybody stepped up to the plate, especially Pastor Robin, um, among the rest of the congregation. And uh, I think after the first service, the nervousness went away for me, you know, to see how God really does work. Um, you know, he, Pastor Robin, kept an awesome job at keeping everything working smoothly. His messages were absolutely filling and educating. They are absolutely amazing. And everybody else in the congregation did an awesome job. <clears throat> but what I've been taught by everybody here and also got to witness firsthand is that Jesus is the head, bottom line. Um, and, you know, through the, I, I witnessed this firsthand through the sabbatical time. And as long as we trust in him and all the outcomes and put all the outcome in his hands, it always works out to be amazing. And in this case, even in a time of nervousness, growth, uh, in a time of nervousness, growth was the outcome, especially for me. Um, I think I was able to grow much closer to our people here, get to know everybody a little bit more intimately, and also see other people's gifts shine as well. You know, everybody had to step up to the plate, and it was amazing to see everybody take part in this. Um, you know, for me, I think it also kind of helped my musical confidence grow a little bit uh, because, as everybody knows, there was how many different worship leaders? Do we, do we even know? Nine different worship leaders here, that they just kind of <laughs> stuck me with up here. And every week it was something different. It was a new personality. It was a new style. And it, it just was amazing how well this flowed. Um, so that's what I learned is that in a time of nervousness, fear, a little bit of eagerness, growth can still, if anything, happen even better. Um, so with that all being said, definitely glad to have you guys back. Don't do it again. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Well, it, it, is, it was systematic, so we already have the sabbatical account. In another seven years, we're out. Actually, it's seven, because we're six, because we had a delay, so... Uh, Brian, Brian serves as a deacon in our church, always here serving behind the scenes stuff and just thought he could share maybe a couple of stories and things that he's learned as well. So uh, during the sabbatical, there a lot went on. Uh, I ch uh, one thing the Lord really spoke to me was get out of your comfort zone. And so the first thing that I did not expect to happen was I changed jobs. Um, 
I had to uh, really uh, take a new new role here at the church of just things coming together. And one of the things that really helped was um, pretty much every single week, me, Robin, Sue would meet on a regular basis. And it was, sometimes it was just dinner, but a lot of the times it was checking in with each other and saying, what, what can we do better? What can we do next? And really just coming into that comfort zone of really coming to closer as a group. And um, a lot of times we would be out with Carrie and Christina, and it, we all just started coming together closer and closer and getting out of our comfort zone of, we can't do this alone. Uh, the other thing was, um, this is going to be hard, because this is probably one of the hardest things I went through why on sabbatical is... Um, I had a coworker and a friend uh, pass away. He drowned on his birthday. And um, it was probably the toughest time because he was only 25, and, we, and I was really just getting to know him. But through that, I got to see, uh, through that death of him, his family had, uh, like, they were all split up because of, everything going on before that, but I got to see see healing through that and even help me in my own life that life is short and um, it's time to get out of our comfort zone and we need each other. Thanks, Brian. Sue, why don't you come on up here? I'm going to have Sue share this. I just want to publicly say she is a woman of God, very spiritual, but she is a practical godsend to me. Uh, she serves as an administrative assistant. So why don't you go ahead and share uh, from your heart, from a letter or whatever you want, and here you go. Thank you. <laughs> okay, um, the song that we sang, it just, I just want to repeat those words. Find rest, don't strive, watch as faith and grace align. So the two things that came out of the sabbatical for me was just seeing the greatness of empower in God's grace and the second was the value of having church family um, the, for me if you know me and just trying to be in control of everything there was like it was like there was this place where his grace was just manifested in such a way it was it was just like this peace this place of rest and it was a a place of confidence that it wasn't by works it was just confidence in him and uh I'm trying not to read this, but I might have to. Um, I was thinking sometimes, you know, we, without Daniel being here, sometimes, you know, we might go to him as a team for something, or I might go to him when, you know, he wasn't here to go to. And I feel like we just kind of, oh, you know, well, we got God, you know, we have his leadership. So we were really relying upon that. And how, how did that look practically in that place of grace? Well, it, like we didn't, however Sundays looked were before things that we might have been worried about, like how, you know, how was the tech stuff going to go? Were people going to show up? This and that. It was like, we just had this peace. It was like we weren't worried about it. You know, we were a team. And um, it's what I wrote was, it says, God was glorified because we are the body of Christ and he is the head. So there wasn't any need to carry burdens into the Sabbath rest. We were blessed by all the worship teams that came in, and I did not hear what Carrie was going to say, so that was kind of interesting. But I had written on here that just seeing the faithfulness of everyone that was serving, and you would see 
Kerry show up every week with these teams that he had never played with before, and they just, they sounded great, and it was just such a blessing to see, you know, his faithfulness in that also. Another thing was Robin, just um, having the summer series about Jesus and just seeing his love and his exuberance for, you know, he was standing up here saying, this is what I learned about Jesus, and I want you to know it too. So being able to see that love just flow through him in that. Um, we got to have a few youth events at the house, and they were a lot of fun. And um, uh, I took a few vacations during the summer, and I missed two Sundays. <laughs> and just for me, it was like, you know, I left my work here, and it was like the church didn't fall apart because you weren't there. So that was, that was a good experience, too. <laughs> um, there was a lot of scriptures that spoke to me during the summer that also were about the Christ being the head of the church and, and we being the body of the church. And in the middle of it, like, it was great. I was, these scriptures were just speaking to me all about that. But I found that I, I wasn't getting it um, because I was still, like, asking for clarity and revelation for Redemption Church, for my own role within the church. And then it was in that place God kind of spoke to me. And I saw that the greatest blessing that God was showing me through those scriptures was the question that would answer all the other questions. He was showing me what the church is, everything defined under his preeminence, everything in him, through him, for him, and because of him. And I think that he just allowed us to experience this extra place of grace through the sabbatical because it did give us a totally different perspective that we are the body of Christ. The last few weeks, it got a little weird. For some reason, they, it was a little harder during the sabbatical, and it was like circumstances started to come into focus. And I realized then that it really was, you know, a gift that he had given to us that we didn't have to, to work for. He wanted us to see, this is what my grace looks like, and it's always there for you. And it's like I'm left with this taste, this vision, and this desire to move on to a place of maturity. And that's what growth in the body looks like. Ephesians 4 says he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, lo in love. We trusted God, and he took care of us. There will be times when circumstances will seem bigger and greater than my faith, but this season has been a marker, a Jordan, a Jordan crossing that I can look upon and say, my God did that. My God will do this. The sabbatical was an alignment, not just for Daniel and Laura, but for all of us, even those who are not in these seats yet. I'm excited for what God is building in love here at Redemption Church. He's building his church and his family by his grace. All right. This is good, isn't it? See, you guys thought I just had God's stories, but God has been speaking and working. And, and um, the last person that we'll have come up is... My wife, Laura, who I dearly love, and I thank you so much in advance for sharing. You're going to do an amazing job and encourage and uplift people. She loves public speaking, but yeah, yeah that was a joke. Uh, but she is really gifted in, um, in ministry and teaching, and as you, many of you ladies know with the women's Bible study, be able to really has a soft, tender touch, the gift of discernment and shepherding and caring. Uh, she's the kindest person I know, and I know a lot of people. She is very kind and very loving, and um, I'm just super proud uh, that God not only spoke to me, but our family and Laura specifically. She's not going to share everything because, again, it would take another hour and a half. 
But I, do, I did ask her to pray for maybe one thing that she can share. And uh, I think the Holy Spirit is going to use her in a great way. So, baby, here you go. Um, so coming up with just one thing to share has been challenging because um, it's an understatement to say that this summer was like taking, taking time with the Lord. We were on sabbatical with God. It was such a different um, experience than I expected, and God met us and spoke to us and encouraged us. And I just want to thank you guys so much for praying for us during that time. Um, uh, before we left for um, our trip, because traveling was a big part of this time, um, this sabbatical time, God gave me this scripture, which is familiar to most of us. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Um, and God gave me that scripture that that's what this time was going to be for our family and that that's what that time was going to be for our church, a time of being renewed. Um, and I just want to let you know that God did that for us. Um, he renewed our strength. And strength comes through time with Jesus. And we were able to spend um, just intentional time um, with the Lord that we would not have had otherwise than this sort of a, um, a time. Uh, there were many different scriptures that, um, that God brought to my mind as we were traveling. And it was kind of he would give me one. And then um, the next week, another would come to mind. So it kind of started with this idea of our strength being renewed. Um, the next scripture that God gave me, uh, I didn't write down the reference, but that in God's presence is fullness of joy. Um, and that was such a tremendous encouragement to me and started to kind of put pieces together that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, and uh, I just want to encourage you that that has been God's word, I feel like, to me with our church body, that as we spend time with Jesus, that he wants to continue that work of renewal in our heart, that that was not a, you know, look back at summer 2021, and that was the time of renewal. It's a continual um, renewing in our heart and renewing of our strength, and that's a promise of God, that when you put your hope in him, that he will renew your strength, and promises from the Lord are serious business. They're not it's not an idea or something that we wish will happen. He promises that he will renew our strength um, as we put our hope in him. And so that's the first. Um, there were lots and lots of just really sweet things that God um, did for us throughout the summer. Um, but the second thing that I wanted to bring up was just the grace of God, which I know Sue talked about, and I didn't know she was going to talk about that. Um, but grace is one of those words it's that we say it a lot. Um, I say it a lot, and it, it sometimes can almost lose its meaning, you know, because you hear it so much. But grace is just when God gives us something that we don't deserve. And, of course, we know we don't deserve even to have a relationship with the Lord, and we've been given so much in what Jesus did for us. But even the air that we breathe is the grace of God. It's the good things that God has given to us that we have not earned. And um, one thing that Daniel and I talked about before we left for this trip that people would say to us was, oh, we're so excited, you know, you deserve this. And, um, and even if some of you said that, I, we appreciate that and understood, but at the same time, it's like, this was not something that we did because we felt like we had earned it. Um, this was a gift to us. And um, I wanted to share one, one thing that God did for me on this trip that was, um, thought about whether or not to share it because it's one of those silly things. Does God ever do something for you that's personal that, you know, you feel almost silly telling because it's something, anyway, this is, what, this is one of the stories. 
Um, but I felt like I wanted to share it because I think that um, I think that I should. So uh, there was a um, a time toward the beginning of our travels in the summer. We were up in Connecticut. We went up to New England um, to areas that we had never been before. Loved it. <laughs> it was just beautiful and cool and nice and. Um, we had time individually to go out and take walks sometimes, and um, there was one time in particular I had gone out on a walk by myself and had been, it was in an area where there weren't any other people. It was kind of a nature preserve area. So I was just talking out loud to God, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know, you know, being able to pray and just be outside with the Lord and be talking to him and not worrying about other people. And uh, God met me in that on that walk and spoke to my heart about a few different things, and um, I was just encouraged, and I could have gone home um, and told Daniel, like, what the Lord had been speaking to me or whatever, but I didn't. I sat down on this bench, and I was looking out at, um, at the water. There was this river by where we were staying, and the first day that we had gotten to, um, to this house we were staying in, we had seen a swan swimming out across the river, and it was super cool, like big trumpeter swan. It looked like a painting. It was just so beautiful. And then we were at that house for, what, like two weeks. It was a long stay at that place. We didn't see the swan anymore. It was just in the very beginning. And I sat down on this bench, and I just said, God, would you send back that swan? And immediately, I mean, almost before I was done saying something, um, the swan just came. <laughs> swimming out from behind these reeds in the water. And I was already in a place where I was like feeling happy with God. I knew he was with me. I knew he was speaking to me. But man, he was so close. He was right there. And um, I had this kind of response to that, like, oh, wow, you sent this one. It's beautiful. Um, and I said, I said, well, you sent another swan and he's sent a second swan. <laughs> and you guys, like, I told you it's one of those silly stories, right? You can hear this and be like, Jesus, lady and swans, I don't know. But there was something in that moment. I mean, I just want to encourage you that God is with us. He is with us. And when you're spending your time alone with the Lord, it can feel sometimes like it's, it's in faith. You believe that he hears you, but he hears us, and he's with us, and um, that is for all of us. That was not just a moment for me. That's why I decided to share it, even though I told Daniel, I'm like, do I have to tell the stupid swan story? Because it, to me, it's so special, but it's also, I don't know. Anyway, here's the last cool thing about the swans. Um, throughout the rest of the summer, everywhere we went, I would see two swans. <laughs> Everywhere we went, um, the first time that I went shopping after this had happened, we were in a new town we hadn't been to. Oh, actually, I went by myself. I went to go walk around without everybody else. I just had some time. I walk in this store. Right up in the window is this painting of these two swans. I could have just laid down on the floor, like, okay, God. Like, um, and we sang that song today that Sue referenced as well about um, his love and mercy follows us. It was like he was following me um, in the best way. And the Bible tells us that God's goodness and his mercy follow us. And that is the word of God. And that's the word of God for you. And that's the word of God for me. And I hope that that is just such an encouragement to you. Um, you know, I, I, you can't live in the past and in a moment. 
Um, and so things are moving forward, and I can't, you know, but I, I, I just am so, that has changed my perspective. Um, I feel so much more just, I don't know, aware of the grace of God, that um, those free gifts, that's where I started, that those free gifts, that God gives us things, that he didn't need to do that, he didn't need to send swans at all. I could have said that. And, you know, we all ask God for silly things sometimes. And he doesn't always answer in that moment. And I don't know why he chose to do that in that exact moment for me. But he did because he's good and because he loves us. And he does personal, special things for us just to show us that he's, that he's with us. So I hope that's an encouragement. Thank you. Well, we are, we are going to close our service, babe. Why don't you come on up? We're going to sing one more song. We're going to close our service with communion. Uh, we have the elements right here. Uh, we're, we're looking pretty good on time. We usually try to do about an hour and a half. Sometimes we go short. Sometimes we go longer. But I think that was, that was, that was good, right? Can we give another hand for all these people that shared? We're part of the body. We need to hear how the Lord is moving in our midst and that common theme of grace. And, uh, I thought it would be good to just close looking at grace and remembering the grace of God, how he has brought us together by his grace, by his mercy, we're his people. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Paul's saying, remember that you were lost, you were alienated, you were Gentiles, you weren't a part of the family, you weren't saved, you had nothing about this, but that is not your future hope. That is not what I have for you now. He says, but now in Christ with Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know if you realize this, but if you put your faith in Jesus, you've brought near. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor, his grace, and his love. It is by faith that you receive his grace and you are saved. And now you're a part of his body. For he himself is our peace who has made us, speaking of believers, both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. There's a lot of hostility in our world, a lot of cultures, a lot of tribalism, political things, different backgrounds, but in the body of Christ, you see broken people just coming to Jesus. You look at that as his disciples, there were fishermen, there was tax collectors, there were zealots, there was all these different people, even different races. And you see this not only now, but as we will enter into the kingdom of God, there will be every tribe, tongue, nation worshiping Jesus. And he brings us together. And it's nothing you can do, but you can receive that community through grace. And you can be forgiven by God through grace. And he says, now as often as you gather together in my name, in my character of who I am, partake in that grace and remember that grace. It's good news. It's called the gospel. And so we're going to talk about how God loves us. Oftentimes we say, I want to get right and just examine my heart and it's just me and God. No, it's you, it's God, but he gives you a family and he gives people to love and support. And we pray that we would be a church that loves and supports you and points you to Jesus because we're a part of something even greater, the Capital C Church. And God is moving and he wants to have divine appointments and relationships with you and 
all this different stuff, but we come with the foundation of this good news that Jesus loves us no matter what. And so our prayer for you is that you would come to Christ. This is for believers, people that are identifying the blood of Jesus has saved me. I need God. I believe he died and rose again. And that is our salvation. That is our cornerstone. He, we want to abide in him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And if you are not saved, or maybe you're listening on video watching and you want to get saved, you just ask Jesus to come into your life right now. You just repent and turn to him. Because you're about to see a whole bunch of sinners saved by grace turn to him in this moment. And so we have the elements on the side. Even in the back, you feel free as you want to grab those elements. I'll sing one song, and then from the mic here, we'll take the bread and the juice together, and we'll, we'll close. Never forget you're a part of something amazing. Jesus loves us, not based on what we do, but based on his work. And so, Father, we thank you so much for that love. We thank you, God, that you've sent your son, that we can have eternal life, and not only that, but an abundant life here, empowered by your spirit to have a purpose and a plan, and we rest on your grace. And we close this service the foundation of looking to you, Jesus, and looking to your grace. We thank you how you worked and gave testimonies to people through this time and this season. But we know that you will continue to give testimonies to all of us as we are entering into worship, coming to these services, having fellowship and community, studying your word and being a body. And so we thank you for being the head. We thank you for shedding your blood. We thank you for sending your spirit to us as we are not orphans, but we are one in family. So we pray for peace. We pray for unity. We pray, Lord, that we would have our foundation on no other than you, God. And so now we come to your table expecting, enjoying, and entering into your presence and believing, Lord, that you are here and that you love us. And we enjoy it together. Let's sing, and as we do, feel free to stand, grab the elements, and we'll take it at the end of this song. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.